Come on, Greg. Get with it, G-Dub. This will help me right here. Ah, there see, you now are. you I can hear you the now. music. Yeah. And I got you. Yeah. Oh, like my video popped up just now? You popped up. Cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Greg's Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore presented by Bike911.com. I'm Greg, and Jason Pridmore is on the line. You want to apologize to everyone because we missed last week, JP? Well... I'm going to take the full blame for this. It's my fault, Greg, because I just was buried. I did seven straight days, you know, at the track. And it's just one of those things. It just was, you know, busy times. And, you know, you keep on thinking, man, I could squeeze an hour in here or an hour and a half in there for a podcast. And and it just gets so busy. And then by 8 o'clock at night, I'm pretty wiped out there. And I'm leaving again today to head back out. CVMA round five, I think, this weekend. Wow. And um, but Jay, but, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing when we travel to the races. How many times have you brought your golf clubs to the races? Yeah. I brought my bow to the races, and you go, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing the club each night. There's a place close by, or I'm gonna You're go, gonna shoot go my practice bow. for thirty minutes." <laughs> yeah, and then when do you do it? Maybe the first night you get there because you're motivated, oh and there's no and you haven't been to the racetrack yet, and then maybe Sunday night if 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 you're not having to rush to the airport or something. But it's, it's not about being motivated. It's about getting pulled different directions right so if we're yeah. at the racetrack and you and i are commentating or doing whatever hey we could be out of here by 4 30 we could be out of here by 5 30 whatever it is and then but but you go down and you start talking to people and and because that's what you feel you have to do and you think well i'm gonna go run around the paddock for 30 minutes that turns into two hours yeah and it's the same it's the same for me at chuck walla because it might look like my day's done at four o'clock when I get off the track or four thirty or five o'clock, whatever the time it is. But it starts up a whole another evening. Like it's you know, next thing you know, it's seven thirty. And I'm going, Where's the last two hours gone? But it's just the way it is. It's just life and And the um, thing for me, if I'm tired and I want to shoot my bow, all I'm doing is just reinforcing bad habits. You know, and, and I couldn't so agree there's, with you more. Yep. There there's the I need to shoot to keep up the strength to hold the bow to pull it back to do all those things comfortably. So that's the thing. So it's like when I'm home I shoot every single day. Right. And I've got to get to the mindset when I'm at these because you know this year I'm going to try to you know compete do to a make couple it things. Yeah, to the yeah, USA yeah. archery, yeah, the Masters national team whatever. So I'll be bringing my bow to some of these races this year and it's like even if I could shoot Thursday and Saturday, like I don't have to shoot every single day and I'm busy. Right. And of course, when we're there, priority take, you know, is the racetrack. Just like same thing at Chuck Wall, you know, so. It's the way it is. Yeah, it's just yeah, the way, it's the way it, is. it is. And life But gets, anyway. But it's, yeah, it's just, but hopefully, uh, you know, I apologize to everybody, but but let's, you know, have, we'll have a great podcast today. Yeah, we appreciate everybody so, who yeah. downloads, every single person who downloads. Sorry, miss a week or two, but yeah, listen, you know, we're, we're just, we're doing this to, to, really stay connected with you guys and and to give you this information hopefully entertain you for an hour if you're driving around or mowing the lawn or something um and like i mentioned it this is presented by bike911.com so if you want to reach out to alex asante who's a motorcycle rider and used to be a racer himself and you need some help on that front make sure you do that bike911.com in this week's pod we're going to talk about a couple of supercross races <laughs> no doubt um, of course, awry news, and we're going to talk uh, some testing because there's been quite a bit of testing that has happened on the Moto GP, no, the Moto, Moto 2, two side Moto and Moto 3 side since the last time that we spoke, and the Moto GP side, Jay. Actually, there's a link in there that I, I gave you for results yep. because we haven't actually finished up the Moto GP testing that they had done last time. So in Indonesia. We have, in Indonesia, yeah. So yeah. We, have, we have quite a bit to talk about. So let's go ahead and uh, and get things rolling 
with our news presented by Arai, which goes like this. And then what you do is you turn the volume up. Nice work. See, one take week, week off. Take, take a week off, huh? Yeah, and my brain. Hey, Jay, did you know that for three generations, Arai's been making some of the world's best helmets? And of course, Arai helmets meet all safety standards, but they also pride themselves in a blend of engineering tech and human craftsmanship. That makes an Arai helmet fit better and feel better, which also protects you better. Your head's worth the best. Visit AraiAmericas.com for more information on tech, fit, and paint jobs. AraiAmericas.com because you owe it to you. All right, let's get into this thing because I know there's something near and dear to your heart that's going to be the first topic. And that <laughs> yeah. is two-time road race champion James Rispoli has announced that he is coming back to Moto America. Rispoli, who won in recent years, uh, he'd been or he'd been in the British Superbike Series, then in American Flat Track. He won the 2020 Production Twin Championship in American Flat Track. He's going to return to the class, Production Twins, on a KTM in Flat Track, but he's also going to be doing double duty. In Moto America, he'll be racing a Harley-Davidson in the baggers class. I know that you're still pretty tight with that dude. What do you think about his plans? I am. He's excited to get back on the pavement, I think. Uh, he's done really a lot the last, what, four years now, I think he's been in dirt track, three years. Man, it goes by quick. But he's going to be really, really busy. And I, there's even some other stuff that I think is going to be coming out on James. Um, he's going to be a really, really busy guy this year. He's excited about the KTM thing. He's actually on his way out here now. He's flying out today. Greg, um, oh, to, cool. to be at Chuck Wall over the weekend. So um, he's going to help me out a little bit the next couple of days with some people, which is which is cool. And, um, you know, I think that uh, I think it's going to be good to have him back in the paddock. And, you know, uh, he's going to be going to all of the Moto America rounds and I'll wait for some of that other stuff to come out for him. But um, no, it'll be it'll be it'll be good to have him back. He's been around. Man, he's been all over the place. I mean, like you say, England and uh, that that deal happened for James coming over to the Lamont 24 Hour with me. He met Keith Flint over there, and um, that's how that whole thing started with him in England. So it's going to be good to have him back here. Another personality for the series to build on, you know, because James brings a lot of flavor and a lot of flair, you know, to it, and he's got a good social media following and stuff like that. So that's always a, a good addition to have in the paddock. Obviously, two time champ on the road race side of things and flat track champ. So the skill is is there, no question about it. Um. All right, so last week uh, when we were scheduled to do the podcast, there were 24 Moto2 riders that tested at Jerez, and uh, all three Americans were there. Joe Roberts was there, and he was the fastest of the boys. He was P6 at the end of that test. Cameron Bobier was P8, and Sean Dylan Kelly was P19. Um, the fastest of them all was Ayogura. Good boy. And at the time, Jay, when I wrote this, the second fastest was Pedro Acosta, who, of course, is the Moto3 rookie world champion who's now one year later in Moto2. And so we're going to talk more in detail about what happened in the three-day Portimao Moto2, Moto3 test that just wrapped up on Monday. But just talking about that Jerez test, um, I know that you were keeping an eye on it back then. Before, if you could put yourself before we had this Portimao test, what were you thinking about Iogura being fastest, Pedro Acosta being second, and obviously Joe Roberts being in P6 and Cameron right up there too? I think it's great to see... Uh, the two guys, two American guys up in the top 10, I think, um, rebounding from last year. Cam's got a year under his belt now. But so does Ayagura. You know, Ayagura was the rookie last year, and I thought did fantastic. And uh, I know you're a big fan of his. And for him to be fastest was, was, was I think, uh, uh, I don't know if it was surprising, because kept on waiting for him to win one of those last year, or at least be there. It looked like he was capable, and I think he will this year. 
But man, Pedro Acosta, what do you say about him? I mean, Moto3, it's, it's funny when you see these um, kind of special riders come along. And, I, you know, we have one in him right now. Pedro Acosta, I mean, what, what happens to him if he goes out and wins the championship as a rookie in Moto2? Does he go straight to MotoGP again? It's it's pretty impressive what this young man is already doing. And I think it's a big credit to the team as well. And the rumors have already started too, Jay. The rumors have already started about the rumors. Listen to me like I'm from Massachusetts or something. The rumors <laughs> have already started with Pedro that Repsol, you know, is looking at him to replace Mark Marquez as the next marquee guy and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, I, I find that whatever hard to believe, you know, in terms of that KTM's going to try to and Red Bull KTM is going to try to lock him down. But, you know, we'll see what happens with his future. Obviously, he's a very special, you know, special racer um, on to some other stuff. Because we're going to talk more about Moto2 in a minute. Yeah. Other stuff, the Mandalika Circus uh, Circuit, the one that the MotoGP riders were at, which we're going to talk about as well. Yeah. Uh, right after MotoGP riders left, Jay, they started talking about a repave. So they're actually going to repave turn 17 to turn 5, yep. uh, which which to me is like, wow. I mean, they're really on it. So it's nice to see that MotoGP has enough horsepower with these tracks that they're going to, like Circuit of the Americas and, you know, and, and obviously the Mandalika Circuit that they're able to say, hey, look, you know, for safety's sake, we need these areas fixed and need these changed. And uh, the Indonesian, the people that run that track, they were just like, yeah, we're on it. No problem. And they're, they go, what, Doha? And then they go straight back, I think? Is it their second Isn't it, isn't second it crazy, though, Greg? Race? It's a brand new racetrack. And obviously, when we watch World Superbike, that place has to deal with some pretty crazy typhoon-type weather, it looks like. I mean, it looks, it looks like you can get flat nasty there. Um, and so... It's a brand new track for them to have to repave already um, on a track that uh, I believe it was in November that they did the, was it November was the last World Superbike round? Like the beginning yeah, of like November? Yeah, like late October, was early it? November. Yeah. Like that. So that's where the World Superbike Championship was decided. We saw that the track doesn't look like it drains particularly well. Um, so a brand new surface getting you know hammered with all that water and rain and, and uh, wind. And the stuff that goes on there, um, I, it's it's great that they're going to do something about it right off the bat. But boy, it seems a little bit wild that we're already repaving a circuit that literally has just been been paved. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, but that's good. Um, on to some Moto America stuff. The Royal Enfield Build Train Race Program is coming back for 2022, and this time there's going to be 15 women that are building their own Royal Enfield GT 650s, uh, learning how to ride on the track, and then racing. Um, the program will be at six Moto America races. And Jay, you know, an old friend of ours, uh, Brianne Poland is the one who's in charge of this program. And she's been around, you know, AMA Superbike racing for years, ran some, some teams, some, you know, hospitality, some teams, blah, 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 blah. I did have a long conversation with her about this build train race program. And last year, the idea was, and they, by the way, they do it in, in Moto America and they do it in American flat track. So there's going to be 30 participants total. Wow. They got 487 women That's that, that applied, applied for it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is last year it was like, you know, Melissa Paris on the road race side is, is the mentor for it, that they took these women that had no experience. They had ridden motorcycles on the street or whatever. But now what they wanted to do is they invited four of the women back who were in the program last year, and they they got women that already have some type of track experience, not professional racing experience. They may have raced at the club level, right. but they've definitely done track days. So the women right now are in the middle of, of, of 
building these bikes. I, from what uh, Bree told me, they've got some great partnerships. The company that owns Royal Enfield also owns Harris Performance. You know the uh, Harris of the UK yeah. that makes swing arms and all that kind of frames. stuff? Yeah. So there's like a, yeah, frames. And so there's an assortment of parts that are that Harris has built, like uh, offsets, I think, you know, uh, handlebars, foot pegs, like things like that. Uh, triple clamps, I mean, not offsets, but triple clamps, whatever. And then um, I guess Parts Unlimited is on board. So they're giving them like a parts allotment so they can pick and choose what they want. They're in the middle of building their bikes and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to see 15 women that all at least have track experience uh, this year on these GT650s. And I think it's a great program. I mean, it it shows, you know, Royal Enfield is a partner for Moto America, you know, and, and it's, I mean, it's different, right? Like that's, you know, having Harley Davidson as a partner in Moto America, having Royal Enfield as a partner, there's these different brands than you and I are used to. Yeah. But it also shows that there is interest across the board other than just those, the big four Japanese. Well, I think that this program specifically, when we look at it, it's, it's good that they're getting, I, I like the premise of what it was last year. I think it's going to be much better this year. I think with more girls and um, maybe more girls that have track experience already, it might make the racing a little bit better because that was really the only thing that was suffering last year. We basically had, um, you know, eight bikes or whatever it might have been, Greg. I, I don't know the ex- remember the exact six, number. I, it was a six bikes? Six yeah, to eight. Say eight, but they, say eight. But they were just all spread out, and it just looked like uh, it wasn't It wasn't an action. It didn't look like a race, right? So mm-hmm. I think that, that getting some people with just that little – all they needed was a little bit of experience. And I thought that the girls last year did a great job. I think it was a kind of one of those programs that um, – you know, obviously Melissa jumped in head first, trying to help them all with the bike builds and everything else. Um, I think this year it'll be better. I do. I think it'll be better this year. And, and it's definitely, I'm a lot more intrigued this year by this program than maybe I was last year, because now we're going to get to see more girls out on the bikes. And, um, and you know, with that, with what they learned last year, the bikes will evolve a little bit and things will just become a little bit better, hopefully. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is like, just for paddock presence, there's so, you know, with expanding to 30 riders total between the flat track and the road race, they're rolling in a semi. And I think Bree said like upstairs is going to be the flat track bikes and downstairs is the road race bikes. Because when the women build these things, after they get done building them, Royal Enfield drives around the country. They have women participating from 19 different states. They're driving around the country. They're collecting all these motorcycles and Royal Enfield transports them to all the races for, for these, great. for these riders. So it, that'll be cool to see that whole display and all that kind of stuff. All right, speaking of Moto America, Jay, news broke this morning that the Suzuki GSX-R 750 is now homologated for Supersport. Now, that is for Moto America Supersport and for FIM World Supersport. Now, you might be asking yourself, how is this possible, okay? Now, the GSX-R 750 and 600 have been around a while, as you know. But the way it's going to be possible is the GSX-R 750 is going to be deemed a next-generation bike, even though it's probably what, Jay? I mean, like the I mean, latest version is what, 10, 11 years old, yeah, right? It's it's old, yep. But it is, the GSX-R line in street form is pretty much the same as you, almost the same as you raced it in terms of you have a throttle, you twist it, it actually pulls cables, they open up a throttle body with fuel injection, and then they let it go. Right. Um, in order to make it next-generation bikes... You're going to have to update, and I talked to the people that we need to. You're going to update to a drive-by-wire system. You're going to, which which will obviously include throttle bodies, also the actual throttle itself, because you won't have cables anymore. It'll be digital. You have a spec ECU, spec dash, uh, wiring harness, and then there'll be some switches. So from what I understand, 
everything's in place with the exception of the wiring harnesses still need to be made. So chances of having a GSX-R750 at Daytona for Supersport are, are probably slim to none. And there's gonna be two places that you can source parts to make your GSX-R750J next generation. So the drive-by-wire system is actually going through Team Hammer. So Chris Ulrich and, and his team, they control all that within the rulebook. And then there's Solo Engineering, which is being imported by Boulder Motorsports. That'll be like the spec ECU, the dash, and the switches. And from what I was told by Teague Dane, who is, of course, head of uh, tech, is that these bikes went through a, what do they call it? It's a phase one and phase two, I think. Yeah, phase one and phase two of FIM homologation. They basically, Team Hammer, took a GSX-R750, created up the motor and the throttle bodies, and sent it off to Italy, and they've been testing it for the last several weeks. They got a frame, they went, they dynoed the bikes, they put it in a wind tunnel, they plug it algorithms into it for balancing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. But this was all initiated by a conversation, from what I understand, that Team Hammer and Suzuki had. And Suzuki is the one who is actually, you know, the big push. The question, Jay, is I, I don't I think the GSX-R750 is only really sold right now in the United States. So Suzuki's got plans to start making more of these things and spread them out worldwide. So let's talk GSX-R750, Jason. I mean, I know you don't like talking about your past, but the reality is you raced the bike in 1997. You won the national championship. I think you and Nikki Hayden were leading the championship in 1998 before whatever happened. You're familiar with that bike. You rode the 600 and the 750 back then. What is, you know, what is your thoughts on bringing back the 750? Because you were around when Super bikes were 750s. Well, even when I did my schools, you know, we, when we were sponsored by Suzuki's up through the end of 12, 2012, 11. I mean, the GSX-R750 to me is probably, when you look back, my top two or three favorite motorcycles I ever rode. And the best part about being a Suzuki support rider when I was younger was the 600 and 750 was so alike. Chassis were the same. So coming to a setup was easy. Yeah, you had a little more horsepower with the 750. So you had, had to do things a little bit different, but... But they were easy bikes to ride. Um, I'm excited for this in the sense that I was talking to a couple people last week that basically said the GSX-R750, you're just not going to be able to really do anything with the motors. They're going to have to stay. They're going to have to stay essentially stock. So when you get an R6, you can do a certain build to the R6 and to some other 600s. Now, there's going to be a variety of bikes in this class next year. Uh, each bike is going to have a variety of builds that we're going to be able to look at and see as teams progress. Because, you know, with the Ducati and the Yamaha and the Kawasaki, and you go down the line of all these other bikes, you can still ride the GSX-R600. And now you've got the GSX-R750 as an option. So, I mean, the 750 was always a bike that was dear to my heart. I used to always tell people that you take a GSX-R1000 and you take a GSX-R600 and you really truly have the best of both worlds when you get on the 750. Very agile, very simple motorcycle to ride. Actually, it was a very easy bike to set up as well. And, you know, I mean, Greg, when I was racing, the 750 was the was the baseline for Superbike as well. I mean, that was the bike. And it was a lot, it was a lot different motorcycle as a Superbike back in the day uh, compared to a Super Sport bike, right? So yeah. they weren't as friendly. I, th- I still look back and I think of, when Matt won the championship, I think it was 99. I was on the same bike, and I don't even know how he did that. It was just that incredible because it wasn't that easy of a bike to ride. 
Um, and and but in super sports form, it was great. I think it was, I think I rode one for Richard at Daytona too, in like '01 or one of those years. I can't remember what year it was. '01 or '02. I think I won there. Um, but it was so easy to just jump on it. It literally didn't take anything away from any of the other projects I felt like I was doing on a race weekend because it was a pretty simple bike to ride. I'm just excited too. I'm just excited yeah. about it. I mean, if you're a privateer and you can come up with that initial money to get that throttle by wire system, the dashboard and all that kind of stuff. And that's, yeah. the prices are controlled. So, uh, I think the rules are out. I didn't even check on it, but I mean, you're talking probably Jay all told, you're talking under $10,000. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like normal race ready bike. The GSX-R600 has a new cam available for Moto America competitors to buy. And that's available through Team Hammer actually as well. Chris Ulrich and that, and that crew. And what Chris told me was, is keep in mind, Supersport went through a couple evolutions since it's Moto America, right? Um, you know, back in the in the day with uh, J.D. Beach and um, uh, Valentin DeBees, and Garrett Gerloff, those bikes were really close to like, say, a World Supersport spec. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yep. but then you had like the 600 um, Supersport class, which was like more stock. They combined those two classes. It's why we haven't seen track records fall. I think maybe one track record has fallen like since, since that It's that been a era. while, yeah, yeah. Right, like, so it's been, and Chris told me that the new GSX-R 600, because the rules they're allowing, you know, them with this new cam, is actually making more power than the Valentin DeBee's bike back wow. in the day. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Now, one of the big differences is, I, I, I asked Chris, how often are you re rebuilding motors? And he said, every three races. So if you have the 600, there's going to be more intensive stuff. And there's so much stuff you can do to the motor, the cost involved. He said, on average, it's 14 to 18 hours just to build that motor. So there's costs associated with that versus okay, if I just spend this money on this throttle-by-wire system, get the dashboard, get all the things that Moto America Tech needs to control it, but I never have to touch the motor. I could run yeah. the motor all year. You Seems know? pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, it does yeah. seem like a... And you got... Essentially, you got the same chassis. So, you know, um, again, you know, it, it just... What you just said reminded me of of even riding World Endurance. I rode, I rode the last couple... You know, I rode uh, two out of my... Well, last three years, I rode for what would essentially like the factory BMW teams. And... In stock thousand, they never touched the motors. They were so good, they were so fast that BMW literally didn't even break the cases open. They were and wow. I used to come in and I used to say, "You guys were drafting super bikes," and they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, we're <laughs> we're cheating, right?" And it's like, "No, we haven't touched. Nope. We have literally not touched the motors." So, um, it's definitely I think from a privateer spec perspective, 750 is the way to go. Like because you don't have to just keep breaking and you know. You don't have to keep replacing parts in the motor. Yeah. Um, but from a Chris Chris side of things, he's got a pretty fast kit on a GSX-R600. And if he does have that baseline to get parts and stuff, maybe from Suzuki to help him build some of the motors. Um, I mean, three three race weekends, is that's a lot of wear and tear. So to have to keep rebuilding a motor after three race weekends and hoping that nothing happens in those race weekends... Um, but if they know that they've got numbers that are better than they were when DeBeast rode the bike, do they feel a 750 and a 600? You know, they got Liam Grant on the team this year. So that's going to be an interesting thing. When I talked to him this morning, he was driving through the grapevine. So yeah, just as we were getting that part of the conversation, I lost him. Of course. <laughs> so, he timed it perfectly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, cause I was going to ask him that very question, like, Hey, if you 
you know, let's say that these wire looms aren't available till the end of March. So now you're getting, you're butting up real close to uh, Road Atlanta, right? Because we won't take Super Sport. I don't think Super Sport's going to Austin. Um, I think it's Super Bike No, no, only, no. It's maybe? just Super Bike only. Yep. Super Bike only, right? So yeah. now you have until the end or the end of the month or two weeks after Austin to get to get your bike prepped. But I, you know, so we, we know that they're going to run the Daytona 200 on the 600s. But I was going to say, look, if, are you going to test your guys? Are you going to give them a choice? Are you going to split your riders up and say, no, you know, Sam, you're going to stay on the, like, it's going to be interesting how they end up playing that. But the coolest thing I think is that you have Suzuki who basically funded this homologation, right? So they, they have to pay for, there's just a lot of things that go into it and expense and all this kind of stuff. And they're looking forward saying, Hey, you know what? We already have a platform. We can make some adjustments to this aftermarket. And this is a player. I wonder if Suzuki might be looking at changing the GSXR 750 from the perspective of from, you know, can we change this to throttle by wire internally? Yeah. You yeah. know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the great thing is Suzuki's got options, don't they? I mean, they've they got do. essentially two bikes they can run in one class. So, um, you know, are we going to see? Honda's got nothing. Honda's got nothing right yeah, now. They have nothing. Yamaha does, but, you know, because they're throttle by wire. And, and the, the main reason, everybody, the reason why we look at these next generation bikes and they're all throttle by wire in ECU is so the FIM slash Moto America can control the balancing of these motorcycles. Correct. Okay. And the, the dashboards and the, and the ECUs that they're using that are homologated, from what Teague told me, they literally can touch one button on the dash and it's going to tell them if somebody's cheating or not cheating. That's pretty wild. Well, it's, it's, and it's a big ask between Scott Smart overseas and the World Supersport side of things uh, and Teague over here. I know that there's been a ton of interactions, a lot of meetings, a lot of Zoom calls amongst um, all the different race series around the world. So... Just to get this stuff correct is is it's a big ask, and I you know and first it, year's going to have it's not all going to happen in that. the dyno, Jay. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not all going to happen in the dyno. It's not going to all happen in the wind tunnel. And then what they do is they take all this data, they plug it into an algorithm, and they say, okay, this is how we feel the computer thinks it's going to be balanced. Yeah. So there is real world that we're going to have to look at, but I I still think that they're doing the right thing. And and computer sophistication at this point, I mean, come on, dude. You know, if you if you go search for a washing machine. You know, on Facebook or you know, on, on your Google thing, and then the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're finding Facebook or uh, Instagram yeah. has a hundred, you know, ads Everywhere. about washing machines. I mean, algorithms are serious; they they can predict a lot of behavior. So, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all thing go, uh, go, you know, turns out. The whole project with these next generation super sport bikes, it's going to be very interesting to see. And 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 people just bitching and moaning to bitch and moan because people love. There's even been a bike on the track yet. Like, let's just I wait know. and see what we got. Let's. Let's wait, see what we have, and um, give things a chance. You know, got to do it. I mean, right now, the way the world things things evolve and change yearly because they're trying to get people more, you know, more interest. I, I sat there, yeah, was it last weekend, Greg? And I'm I'm watching NASCAR at the Coliseum in L.A. and I'm like, <laughs> is this even a real thing? And it was, I couldn't honestly, I couldn't watch it. Everybody was talking about what a great success it was. <clears throat> they did 150 laps on this little track inside a stadium and I'm sitting there going like, I don't know if I'd watch that again. You know, I, well, I didn't watch it in the first place. I saw parts of it, but I tried to, but they're making, they're making shows out of everything now. Like 
Even before the 500 this weekend, Daytona 500, they're having a concert, you know, in the trial, they're having a concert. So country they have concert. to, so, their, their audience is getting older, like Harley Davidson, right? Like, yeah, like, that's exactly right. How do you, how do you connect with the younger audience that now isn't as interested in just racing Jay as you know, you, you don't, it, you it's gotta, hard do, to you gotta give two... people more, you gotta give people more. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, you know, is team Skulk going to come back? Team Skulk. I remember they didn't, they, didn't that, didn't that famous team back in the day run GSXR 750s? Uh, yeah, Team Skulk ran GSXR 750s, yeah. buddy. I wonder if yeah. they'll come back. We'll, well 99, I ran it for a couple races, and then it was gone. But we're not going to talk about that. But that's oh, your news yeah. presented by her high. Ryder got fired. Huh? Ryder got fired. That'll be a good podcast someday. Ryder got fired for from a free ride. I still don't know how that happened. Still got fired. But we made it through, didn't we? Hey, if, if that rider couldn't even... If that rider couldn't even handle his business getting it for free then we you know the people above knew that there was no way this guy was going to do anything he probably should start a podcast or commentator or something anyways you might want to turn go. you might want to turn around when you're backpedaling like that and make sure you don't hit anything like let's talk about this moto gp test greg that happened at okay. indonesia uh like we talked about earlier the circuit is new to moto gp they went straight from didn't they go to portimao they went straight from portimao i think and they went over there and... No, 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 no. They were at Sepang. They went straight from Sepang. They went from Sepang. Thank you very much. That's right. They went from Sepang and they went straight over to uh, Portimao. Uh, sorry, to Indonesia. <laughs> and it, it looks like an amazing place. It's just like the World Superbike guys. All these guys are posting about how incredible Indonesia is. But, man, Paul Spargro ended up being quickest overall um, at the end of it with Quattararo second. Aleish was third on the Aprilia. Continues to test really, really well. Uh, Morbidelli Bagnaya, who I believe, Greg, I don't know if it's in our news, but didn't he just he just got signed through 2024 for Ducati? He did, yeah. I was going to bring it up in this segment, so that's All why right, I forgot great. about that. Yes, yes, yep. he's signed. So he ends up fifth. Rins is sixth. Vinales is seventh. Zarco, eighth. Brad Binder, ninth. First one on the KTM. And Alex Marquez was tenth. Um, when you start looking at things, um, you know, I know a lot of this stuff was at the end of the weekend, time trials and trying to see who could go quickest and stuff. But Luca Marini, again, is is riding very well. And I think he led a couple of the sessions um, throughout the week, uh, the, the couple of day tests. I don't know, Greg. There's a couple of things that come to my mind really quickly. You have a Honda, a Yamaha, an Aprilia, a Suzuki. All five brands, all four of those brands are in the top 10. Um, and then you've got Brad Bender, ninth. You got five brands, Greg, in the top ten right now, and I MotoGP is in a great place. It is in a great place, it's and the biggest place. thing about Mandalika is it is vastly different from the Sepang circuit. So the Sepang circuit, much like Qatar, is going to um, you know reward high speed, right? And so at this point, we can't just say it's motor anymore. It is a combination of moto and aerodynamics. Like that, yep. the motor and the aerodynamics are, are really what's propelling these MotoGP bikes. Because it's a balance between downforce and downforce, you can use, you can take away some of that horsepower, you can take away some of that drive. So it's a real, real balance. So what we saw at Sepang was Yamaha get absolutely smoked, and then when we got to Mandalika, which doesn't require as much, you know, horsepower, we saw that the Yamaha was more competitive. But you're right, Alicia Spargaro to me was probably the most impressive because he was at the top of the timesheets for the, those couple of days, you know. Polis Bargaro and the Honda. Yep. Dude, that's that's nearly a clean sheet, um, yep. clean piece of paper bike that they redesigned. 
the fact that they ended up at the top of the timesheets at a 31 flat is incredibly impressive. And it it's they're fast. Those, yeah, well, and the fact that you have and the fact that you have 19 riders, Greg, all within a second. So I mean you Gnarly. got 19 riders within a second. It's gonna be pretty wild. You notice we didn't really talk about Mark Marquez here. I believe he was uh where was he, Greg? 14th. He was uh, 14th. So I mean mm-hmm. when you look at things, Jack Miller, 15th. But they're 0.8 off. I mean, everybody's so close, so tight. Um, so, I mean, they their lights are going on in Doha in two weeks, right? So, yeah, um, which is just wild. All testing is done now for MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3. These guys now will be heading off to Doha, getting there, and having a finally having a normal race weekend in <laughs> Doha. Um, it, do they do a pre-test like they did before? I don't think they do, do they? No, I don't think so this year. If you remember, they, they always used to do a pre-test uh, the week prior, and I don't think that they have that this year. So No, because um, because they just got done testing. That's you know? right. They just got done so, testing in Manalika. So they're going to be, uh, yeah, they're going to be going straight there. So I think, uh, I you know, I think it's going to be great. Um, I mean, where are we going to be? Are we? Daytona's not the same week, is it? No, we no Daytona Supercross is the same weekend. Okay. Then we go race, and then the following weekend after after our Daytona 200 is uh, Indonesia for MotoGP. Yep. Okay. So we we actually fall in like kind of a really good you know good window of being able to watch, you know the so the, the thing about Qatar is as I remember it isn't it like it's it's pretty early morning for me I think like it starts at maybe 10 o'clock at night or some crazy. It's a perfect. I think it's really good time for me. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think it's like but, late, so, but it's it's fine. You're not going to Daytona Supercross, are you? No. Yeah, no, neither no. am I. So I'm, I'm gonna go down there. I'm gonna go down there, do my thing with you. Down, I, I'm. I don't know, man. It's it's weird. I kind of got that that feeling again. You know, watching the Rolex 24 hour, and then and then even I I watched a little bit of the Daytona 500 this weekend. Um, but but it it gave me that feeling again of like, oh my gosh, it's race time. It's like. Dude. Daytona's coming up, and that back in the day, that feeling in my stomach used to just sit with me for a month. It's like, oh my gosh, it's coming up, and I used to just be itching to get on the plane. And then the last couple times, I, you know, I had my motorhome, so I was driving there, and I was just so excited to get to get to Daytona. And um, gotta be so. And packed. I know that's what a what a lot of these guys are feeling right now. And we're gonna get to see, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll have a little build up to Daytona prior, but you know, with the Twins Cup and the baggers and all the other things that are going on. Um, the, the Twins Cup to me is going to be, man, I'll tell you that Twins Cup class this year is going to be pretty wild. So I'm excited it's, about yeah. getting down there and it's getting yeah, close. Me, me, me too, yeah. dude. And, yeah. and, and there's a couple of people that have reached out to me, uh, like the last day or two, they're like, Hey, I want to come to Daytona, but I can't find a place to stay. And I'm like, yeah, dude, there is no place to stay. It is packed. You've got to stay packed. 30, 30 minutes plus away yeah. to even find a place. So worth it though. You know? Fingers yep. crossed yep. the weather's great. It's going to be fun. Doing the Daytona 200 is going to be awesome for us. It's going to be fun. All right. It's be so so MotoGP test, like Jason said, two weeks starts the season. So all the conjecture and stuff is going to be put, you know, will be put a stop to. There is talk that um, that both Suzuki and Yamaha could come out with new aero packages for Doha from what they learned in the test to try to get a little bit more speed. But really impressed with what Suzuki's been able to do average over the course. And of course, that guy, Chris Pike, puts up data, but it's been really impressive. So I think it's anybody's ball game. The Aprilia seems to make leaps and bounds. You know, we'll see if Maverick Vinales can actually show up for a season or not. I think Aleish is really I always test good. Right I mean, I really, you, you yeah. can't even read into Vinales testing. He always tests great. No. He was fastest one of the days or one of the sessions too, Vinales was. And you were like, oh, here he comes. And then Even whatever. at Sepang, so, right? At Sepang he was. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Moto Two and Moto Three. More Moto Two, Jay. Um, yeah. Talking about that because they just wrapped up that three day test that we were talking about in Portugal. And at the end of the day, the rookie Pedro Acosta goes fastest, shattering the track record. He goes a one forty one point five five two. Fernandez was second fastest at a forty one seven. And then the last rider in the 41s is going to be Aaron Kinnett. Then you had a um, couple new guys in there. Joe Roberts was P7. In terms of the last day of testing, um, Cameron Bobier ended up in 19th and Sean Dillon Kelly 27th to Simone Corsi in 28th. Uh, Schroeder and Lowe's didn't test the last days. Bobier did crash on Sunday. He did like six laps total on Sunday. And he talked to me yesterday and he said he just wasn't, uh, he was feeling fine. He was just riding like a dope. Just never really got his rhythm going on the final day. But before all that happened, Cameron was right up there, Jay. I was like watching live timing and scoring. And Bobier was right in the top three. He was in the top five. He would go fastest for a while. And then, you know, towards the end of the sessions, people would put on tires. Like Cameron is looking fast. But the other rider that's been impressive the last two days of testing was Joe Roberts. He's yeah. looking really good on that. for Joe. That's racing. great. You know, you know, let me ask you a question. I, I, I'm always curious about this. It'd be a good question to ask Cam. I mean, you got to remember, like, we're gone are the days here in Moto America where we would have, or AMA, however you want to look at it. Back in the day, we used to have two and three day team tests all the time. We'd go to Atlanta, go to Daytona, go to Laguna. There was, I mean, they were kind of like, um, they were on the calendar from the beginning of the year. And then, and then you'd have, so you'd have teams Everybody would go to these team tests. And I kind of wonder what it must be like for Cam or even SDK now to go to these big team tests and have multiple ones of them. They're, they're riding a lot more during the offseason, I feel, than they did when they were here. There's got to be a, um, a transitional period there of you're going out there and you're trying to push every lap. Um, but there's got to be a transition of getting used to that process of a three-day test is a long time. It's a long time. A three-day test is a long time. And it wouldn't appear that there's a ton of things to test on these bikes from year to year because they kind of stay the same. Now, I know that there's some chassis stuff, improvements, and not that naive to that thing. But you got to think that, like you said, Cam the first two days was always up there at the for three quarters of these sessions. Um, and then guys would throw tires on and, you know, and go quicker. But when you have an accident like he had after day two and you're two weeks out from your first race of the year, there has to be something on that third day that plays into that mental state of like, okay, had a big one yesterday, thumped my head, got a couple little things to go through today. Today's not the day to like go set the world on fire. And I think that that's probably what you saw from Cam, just using his head and being smart about, let's not do anything silly. We got two weeks to go. I'm healthy. Portimao is a roller coaster, is it not? Yeah. Doha yeah. is not right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something to consider too. I mean, I you know I can't believe how fast they go around that racetrack on a motorcycle. Well, it costs us a joke right now. The fact that this kid <sighs> smashes the lap record. And Greg, don't take your eyes off the kid in, in fourth. Um, we're gonna learn how to say his name, Aldegar, because if that's the kid, I think it is. He's the one that was 16 years old that got did a wild card and ended up eighth or ninth at I believe it was Mugello. And then the kid comes back at the end of the year and was running in the top 10 again. And there's a kid that, that uh, and you have to excuse me, I, I personally don't know him. I don't know much about him or where he came from. 
Um, our boy Steve English could probably tell us, but uh, the thing is, is that is that the kid is no joke. Like this kid is, he doesn't have the pedigree of you know Acosta and stuff. He did a wild card in Moto Two, so we never saw him in Moto Three or any of that. So he's worked his way into the championship, um, maybe a little bit different route. And I mean, for him to be fourth quickest on um, on that completely different chassis, Bosco Scura. Yeah, the, the Bosco Scura chassis, exactly. Yeah. So it was like three Calexes, and then there were like, what, six or seven Calexes behind him until we got the 13th in the MV Augusta. And then next, Bosco Scura was Fanati. Fanati in 22nd place. So, incredible. you know, definitely, no, there's, it's an eye-opener. Aldegore, maybe, is his name? That's how you pronounce that? Aldegore, uh, I mean, Aldegore. it's, it's yeah. Spanish, I just remember so seeing we'll... him. I remember seeing him and then and guys talking about him. And But, you know, when you sit there and you look at this, it's, it's man... For Acosta to be as good as he is, and and Fernandez, Fernandez, remember he had a pretty tremendous year last year. He was Sam Lowe's teammate um, uh, with big podium streak, great second half of the season, and he has taken that momentum, and he's got a carrot right in front of him and a rookie, but he was only two tenths off, Greg. So he's right there. Aaron Kinnett is another guy that I think will be, you know, made uh, a major title contender as well. So I, you know, I'm excited about Moto Two this year. I think it's going to be good racing. Fact that we got three of our guys over there in that class as well, um, and we'll talk more about it when we get you know right after Daytona. We get we're gonna have to come home, get a podcast in before the MotoGP weekend, and um, and we'll talk more a little bit about this you know when it, when time comes. All right, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's move on to the next thing, which is you. Well, real quick too, Moto Three. I think we were gonna just talk. Oh yeah, Moto Three. Real quick, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, Moto Three. They also tested at Portimao. And when you look at the combined times there, I don't think it's really any surprise, Greg. Uh, the guy who ended up second last year, Dennis Foggia, ends up leading the way over Andrea Mino, Guevara, Sasaki, Munoz, uh, Tetsuo Suzuki. Um, Masia was seventh. Anchu, Garcia, and Toba rounded out the top ten. Now, they're all very, very familiar names with us, Greg, aren't they? I mean, we didn't really see any rookies, let's just say. Now, Munoz I'm not as familiar with, maybe in fifth there. So we'll keep an eye on on how he gets going. Uh, McPhee, I think he took the place of Fanati on that uh, Starrgard or Husqvarna team. McPhee's about 44 years old now, isn't he? I think so. It'll be interesting to see <laughs> how he that, gets yeah. going. But also, you got Anna Caresco now. She's she's made her uh, way back into Moto Three. So Moto Three again. We will talk about this on our lead up show to the Doha races. But uh, Moto3 will be interesting again. But it looked like a lot of the same guys that finished off the season, with the obviously the exception of Acosta, are right yeah. back up where they need to be. And Faja did break the track record, too, in one of his sessions. So Yeah, boy. that guy, I think he's going to be... He has the ability to kind of do some of the things that I think Acosta did last year. I think he's going to win... I think he'll probably win a good six, seven races, which is a lot in that class. And I think he has the ability... He has that kind of... Uh, Kind of breakaway speed, doesn't he, to be able to do that? So, does, yeah. why do you give me Supercross? Just the way it worked out. I mean, I can do Supercross if you want. What no, give us some res- go. Give us some results. No, I, when I say that, it's uh, I, I. You know what, Greg? I gotta start looking at the rundowns before the show. I think that's my bad. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> get that, the that, stuff pulled up. That's Imagine who I'm working that. with, people. That is yeah. who I'm working with. He is. Wor- so that is we- who he's working with. So on the on the A3 side, um, yeah. We- 
we'll just pull up obviously the results for A3. So Anaheim three happened, and it, Jason Anderson won over Eli Tomac, Justin Barsha, Malcolm Stewart in fourth, Marvin Muskan, Dylan Ferrandis, Chase Sexton in seventh, Cooper Webb and Plessinger and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, we're just gonna breeze through this just so you, you know you know. And then on the catch back up, side, yeah. it was yeah, it was Christian Craig, and I think. That that's the last uh, West Coast race for Anaheim or for the West Coast 250 riders for quite a while. So we five we weeks. I think they have a five week layoff. Mm-hmm. So so right now on that front, Christian Craig leads that championship by a pretty pretty healthy margin. Uh, he's had such a great a great year for Christian Craig, and this is one of those times, Jay, where you just go, well, I certainly hope that they can stay healthy, you know, over yep. this time. But Christian Craig has 148 points over Michael Moseman, who just did not have a good run at it. Um, well, he 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 he, ha- he was okay. His, his qualifyings weren't that great, but he ended up scoring twenty one points. But Moseman is what? So it's one forty eight to one twenty to one nineteen for for Jet Lawrence over on that side of it. And then we went to round seven in Minnesota, and Jason Anderson ended up winning over Cooper Webb and Marvin Muskan and Malcolm Stewart in fourth, Justin Barsha in fifth, Eli Tomac sixth. But Jay, that that really wasn't the story. I mean, did you get a chance to to watch yeah, that I watched, race at all? I watched all. There's really two big stories, isn't there? I mean, the funny little accident that Tomac had when Ferrandis uh, didn't um, didn't do one of the rhythms or the triple, and then and it was funny because Ferrandis kind of stopped at the top almost to make sure he wasn't going to get landed on, and Tomac was coming up the backside and just tapped him, put him uh, dead last. Tomac puts on an incredible charge to finish sixth, and then what are you going to say about Sexton? Uh, you just feel awful for oh the my guy. Gosh. The kind of accident that he had there it looked like he was coming out of a rut, out of a left-hand corner into a rhythm section. And as it as the front tire came out of the rut, um, you know it looked a little bit hard packed. And some of those marbles that were on top of the hard pack just before the face of the rhythm, it caused the front wheel to kind of go, kind of tuck. So he went up the face of the jump with the with the front tire kind right. of sideways he was almost sideways oh did you see God. what it did to the front wheel yeah it destroyed it and he was obviously very combative when he it looked like he'd had a it looked like he had a concussion um yeah, that's what it, it like seems like too. they're doing a lot of things right now from what i've read to kind of squash that a little bit i'm sure he's got to be in some sort of protocol when you see a rider get up who laid there for laid there in kind of a very statuesque position almost where he didn't look like he was all there it looked like he thumped his head he did because his visor was gone and um and you kind of see him not he wasn't taking swings but he was very like combative when he when he got up a lot of that's going to be frustration he tried to get back on the bike obviously it wouldn't roll there was a lot of little things there i feel bad for the kid because he's this is the second time this year greg where he's had that speed to win i think anaheim won he had the speed to win and he crashed twice this one here, he had this one a little bit locked up with three to go. Kind of somewhat handed it to Jason Anderson, who just seems to be doing the right things right now. Um, In the right places, the right time, you know, taking what he can get and boom. And, right? and and I'll say this. It's when you look at it, there's the guy that I think everybody's going to be a little bit nervous of who has struggled this year, who just keeps pounding the workout. You know who I'm talking about, right? Cooper? Yeah, he ends up second. He ends up second in this race, and and the whole shot. And what was so funny was, is and we'll get to this in a minute. But you know, obviously with our fantasy stuff, I was home. I was home Saturday, and I watched the all the pre-race buildup right prior to picking my team. The thing I noticed was the short run to the first turn. Cooper gets incredible starts, 
So I felt like it's a short run to the first turn and a very difficult track to pass on. And I thought, this just reads for me, Cooper Webb, to maybe no. get a result. Did you FFL Cooper Webb? I didn't. I didn't. I Actually, I forget about that that sucker bet in that thing. But I, uh, I you've but been I thought, yelling at me for that for years, so I figured, dude, if you get that, no, I'm yell no, at I didn't. You. But I thought that I thought that he would get a good start, and the track being so hard to pass on, I thought it's kind of a Cooper Webb track, and in the sense that this could be the weekend where he kind of puts himself back on the map, and he did. He did a really, really good job. Um, Malcolm Stewart just continues to impress. Um, I mean, look, Malcolm. Really, Malcolm was yeah. in a really good spot actually to he win was. the race. He was really in second. He was right there. Jason Anderson. Yeah, he was right there, and he just had one little mistake. And Jay, just just mistake. to note, I'm I'm good friends with one of Malcolm's best friends, and yeah. basically what was told to me, you know, I didn't talk to Malcolm directly, but he said that he understands. Like he's got a lot of confidence. That was just one little miscue, oh. but he's got that feeling that he knows now he can run up front. And he said the other thing too is that. Um, you know, and it, it did look like Jason Anderson got a little gas towards the end of the race, and and Malcolm was not. Well, Malcolm kind of had the same kind of accident as Chase, only he was landing from a jump, got into the soft stuff with a little bit of lean, and just lost the front, didn't he, from that triple? Yeah, I think and, there was what we didn't see, Jay. I think there was a lapper that he had to adjust his line because he'd been going through that section on the outside of that section, and it and and when he jumped and landed, he was in the middle of the track, and I he, I don't think he'd been there yet. Yeah, well, it was just it was loose, and he just lost the. Fr- it was such an innocent little. You think about how gnarly these guys are, and what they do on a bike to to have a little tip off like Malcolm did, and 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 in the regard to Sexton's accident, had that um, had the jump that he hit sideways going up, been another four feet down the track, he would have been okay. He probably would have had the thing straightened up and gone. It was just a bad set of circumstances. Those guys are off to this week. Is it Atlanta? No, they go to Dallas. Dallas. They're in Dallas. And we also saw 250 East Supercross this weekend get kicked off. And Jet Lawrence, um, that class is loaded, by the way. That class is loaded. I know you probably got the results up. You can give them to us real quick. I'm getting fantasy all set up over here. So you can go through a little bit of that. Lawrence wins it, which is weird because it's as expected. But you know, it's still super crush. You can't just give it to the guy, right? Like, let's, like Paul Carruthers says, don't have the banquet yet. So Lawrence wins. Forkner in second place, but Forkner actually led. Lawrence had to pass him for the lead. Uh, Cameron McAdoo in third. Jeremy Martin in fourth. R.J. Hampshire another, you know, fifth place. Pierce Brown, Styles Robertson, uh, Lopes, and Levi Kitchen. And you're right, Jay. This this field is packed. It's really packed with people and. So Jet Lawrence obviously kicks off the East Championship, um, you know, with a what with three points over Forkner. But you get the feeling that it's going to be Lawrence and Forkner battling it out, and McAdoo and Martin or R.J. Hampshire too. He started off really quick. Did Hampshire now? Hampshire, I love I love that kid too. Me too. Me too. You I can make that the, you can make the argument that it's you know for him that. You know, does he have some things to work on? I don't know. I think he's a couple well, of clicks away from getting it figured out, and he could stick his nose right up in there too. Watching what we've watched, the three guys that you just mentioned, Amart, right? I mean, uh, um, Jmart, Jmart, um, McAdoo, Hampshire. Hampshire has the propensity to crash a lot. We saw that in outdoor, um, and it looked like he got that together at Supercross. He looked solid, didn't he? I mean, he looked really, really good. Um, McAdoo, another kid that we see on the in the dirt a lot. So the fact that he finishes right behind his teammate and gave Forkner a run there at the end, if you watched it, gave him a good run. 
at the end there. And if J-Mark can just stay healthy, I mean, that is the kind of the key to him. And don't take your eyes off this Kitchens kid, uh, the, the rookie. Uh, he ended up winning his heat race, did a, um, did a nice job. Didn't have the greatest, uh, you know, for him, didn't have the greatest heat race uh, main event. But that class is stacked. And, you know, you got to sit back and you think, you know, the East-West shootout that will happen at the end of the year. Christian Craig right now seems like the only guy that could maybe run at the front with the East Coast. And he's going to have a target on his back because so many people, and I've already read things where the East is so much more difficult than the West, and it's like taking credit away from Craig. He's going to come into that thing fired up. I'm excited already for that. So, But uh, those guys are off to Dallas. I'll be at the racetrack this weekend with everybody watching it. So cool. it'll be well, that's good. That's our podcast. Good talking to everybody. Now, let's go to let's go to this real quick. Just, just, just for fun, G-Dub. Let's go look at our pulp as Eli Cap is at the top. Um, and Greg has i wouldn't say substantially but for this stuff he kind of does um 24 point lead at the top over hucklebuck racing aja buell off the ceiling so nick finally had a good weekend to get himself back up and so did andrew lee andrew um was kind of way back Uh, it's kind of the week of the comebacks and we'll get to that in a second as far as guys getting further up about andrew had 290 points this weekend that's that's a lot um, let's see how, how, how did you end up G-Dub? Where'd you end up this week? Oh dude, come on, man. Did I was you like suck a hundred and something. No. Yeah. Like I got all eight of my guys in like that wasn't whatever. I got all eight of my is, riders okay. in, but then I had in two fifty three of my riders DNF'd three of them. Look at it's like a hundred. I, I scored like 163 points, dude. I, I'm looking was, for you on the second page. Are you on the first page? No, no. Is that insulting? Got to go. Got to go to like the middle of the second page, maybe. Greg, you're almost at the bottom. You're ninety sixth. Now, I have been laying off you a little bit because you've you've dominated MotoGP, you know, pulp or MotoGP fantasy. So I've been laying off you, but man, ninety sixth. It's not good, dude. It's not good. I jumped up to thirty first. I'm happy, but the thing I'm most pissed off about is our little pool that we got with. With Chuck and Uncle Skip, I'm like, I finally might win a week. I am 0 for 2022. I scored 268 points, I think, and then I find out that Uncle Skip scores 272 to beat me. And so the money-wise that I'm spending on fantasy right now is not good. I'm going to end up buying Uncle Skip a round of golf at Spyglass uh, or something like that. All, I, all I'm thankful for is we have the Daytona 200, an extra round for us to work so I can pay off all of this fantasy stuff because I'm just getting Great. crushed. Until MotoGP rolls around, then we'll see. Just Hold on, catch, I do have to send I have to send a shout out. I have to send a shout out to Greyhound uh, 386. That's Cody Newman, who literally phonetically had spelled it out for me. Cody Newman. For our fantasy for A3, he was our highest point scorer. So look, I know Cody. So look at Greyhound three eight six. Tell me where he is in the rankings right now, though, because he was he sent me a message oh. on Instagram saying this is how you pronounce my name, and I was like, dude, just for that, I'm not mentioning you oh, on the podcast. He's thirty sixth. All he's, right, so so he's, he's yeah, right behind. Right. He's he's five back from me. So yeah, so Cody, I told you last week I wasn't going to mention you just because you you phonetically spelled out. So actually, it was your fault <laughs> that we didn't have a podcast last week. Not Jason's, we'll not him. mine. Your we'll fault. Him. But this week I get to mention you. So. By the way, he's got two seventy seven, two seventy eight points. The last two kind of kind of started the. Well, I'm looking to see. Yeah, like 
So, yeah, so look, here's the thing. I, my, yeah. my, my strategy th- this last week was I just went middle of the road. Yeah. So like, I don't think I had it in the 250 class. I didn't have a handicap over, I think six or seven, seven was my max, but I'm pretty sure it was six. So I figured, okay, I'm going to go middle of the road. I'm going to get eight people in. I'm just going to have a solid day. I'm not going to go for a 15 handicap and try to make up a bunch of points. Like just go solid. The fact that I had three DNFs in 250 and one DNF in 450. I mean, I just mm. sat there in, like in, my a, year. <laughs> in a bucket of tears going, why yeah. am I playing this game? It's just my year. That's so the bad. same as me. And, you know, I took your boy. I took your boy, Cade Clayson, this week. Clayson, yeah. Clayson. And Cooper Webb as a seven handicap was a no-brainer. So I had him. Mm-hmm. Um, I even did the unthinkable. I took Vince Freezy. So really, the only the person that killed me this week, believe it or not, was Jordan Smith. He had a huge handicap. He won his heat race. He's an all-star. He gets me 18 points. That is the reason Uncle Skip beat me. So Jordan Smith. I had, yeah, I had Jared Fry. Joshua Varese, or yep. and Kyle Peters. They yep. finished 19th, 2021. The only yeah. person who finished under them was Max Volan, who, by the way, is fast, but he, I don't know if he's hurt or not. Look at he got hurt. Looks like shoulder. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. wrap this thing up. We got, I got CVMA round five this weekend. So I'm headed out of here today. Got to do some coaching tomorrow and Thursday with uh, Dale Kiefer, Racer's Edge. Great two days we're going to have out there. Tell Dale some, and his wife hello for me. Love those We've got some weird weather kind of coming in around here. Oh, no. Is it going to be but, in the 60s? You poor California I know, people. I know. But out there, it's going to be good. So we're styling. All right. So so next week, we're going to talk about Chuck Wallet and the races. And we'll talk about Texas Supercross and whatever else news that we can come up with. Well, Jay, have yourself a safe travels out to Chuck Wallet. Enjoy the weekend. And, and, I'm, else. and I'm, not, I'm not dropping names on my feet. So before you say all that, but I... If you noticed, I might have been looking down a couple times, and I got I got a couple text messages from Joe Roberts. Just to you know, I'd asked him this morning before we came on how things are going, and he's he's really happy with things, and he feels like the potential this year is big for him. So uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for all our guys over there, Greg. So to all of you that listen every week, uh, sorry again that we missed last week. But we will be back next week. Um, although my schedule's a little weird again, I haven't told you that, but. Um, Everybody have a fantastic week into your weekend. See you next week.